HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, your host, Erica Whites. So this is kind of, kind of weird, kind of weird, but um, have we ever discussed potatoes together here on Let's Get Real? I suddenly realized that, no, perhaps we haven't. You know, down here in the foodiness fallout shelter, way, way down here, have we... Have we ever brought up the subject of potatoes? No, right? I don't believe we have, which is kind of odd, considering that after 113 episodes of Let's Get Real, many of which have been broadcast from deep, deep underground, because that's where the fallout shelter is located, underground, in an undisclosed location to protect us after the foodiness apocalypse, brought to you by Monsanto which will rain down upon us any day now. Because we broadcast from deep underground, we've never actually talked about our friend the potato. And since we've discussed just about every other food and every other foodiness product, grown, caught, raised, or manufactured on this semi-green planet, but somehow the humble, simple potato, I don't know, it just kind of, it like slipped right past us somehow. We were so busy talking and ranting and propagandizing down here for real food that we totally overlooked you, humble potato, and you got by us. Like a defector from North Korea, you just silently slipped the border into China at midnight, which actually really isn't how that happens or works at all. North Korean defectors, they don't just slip out through China. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that. 
or maybe more like that that shy, quiet girl who was in your college modernism survey class back in art school who everybody just kind of ignored because she seemed so uninterested in showing off how creative and unique she was, unlike certain other people who filled that pretentious classroom. And then a decade later, you hear that she's selling her paintings for six and seven figures and is profiled in The New Yorker and is now buying a $14 million townhouse on Barrow Street across the street from your friend Ida's rent-controlled studio because Ida's in her 80s and has lived there forever. And this certain painter girl who everybody just ignored is now a big celebrity art star. Yeah, kind of more like that. Hmm. Sort of. So potatoes. What about them? Well, here's a story for you. Because you know I always love to regale you with my personal stories. Often and often repeatedly. Sort of like someone's old grandpa. Or sort of like a dad. You tell the same stories over and over. Well, that's what's happening to me. Now this one's not really my story. This was told to me by my BFF Lisa Weissman who sadly moved away from Brooklyn years ago. So Lisa and her husband, Andy, had moved from Brooklyn to Durham, North Carolina, and then they moved from Durham to Portland, Oregon, I think about five or six years ago. And so they had hired movers to take their stuff from Durham to Portland, but then they were driving their car themselves with their dogs across the country. Now, that was five years ago, and now... Getting decent or better food across America is actually, I think, significantly easier than it was five years ago. The food quality across the country has has radically improved, I must say. But this was five years ago. It was another world, another time, another lifetime ago. And so when you're driving across the country and you're driving on the interstate and you don't want to lose hours by veering off course to find the smaller cities or the bigger towns that have the cool new locavore place that you just read about on Eater or, you know, you got some tip on Twitter about you're just hungry and you're on the road and you just want to eat something, sometimes you have to go to Denny's. There's always a Denny's on the highway, unfortunately. And weirdly, mentioning North Korea a moment ago, there are also Denny's all over South Korea and Japan. Which I find very strange, because those are two countries with some of the best food in the world. Why are they eating at Denny's? I do not know. As far as I know, there's no Denny's in North Korea uh, yet. Or Cuba. Yet. It's coming. So Lisa and Andy are driving their car across country, and they're getting close to their destination, which is Oregon. And so they are crossing Idaho. Idaho. First thing you think of when you think of Idaho? Potatoes. Yes. So they're one state away from their destination, and they're tired, and they're tired probably of each other, and they're tired of being in the car, and they're tired of eating on the road, and as the endless miles and miles of potato fields of Idaho are passing by them, they spot a Denny's. So they go in. And by this time, Lisa's been really desperate for something relatively healthy, you know, as healthy as you can get on the road. So what does she do? She orders the fish. And I'm making air quotes, which I don't normally do, but she is eating, ordering the fish. Now, that's what it's called on the menu, the fish. It's not called like trout or tuna or mackerel or arctic char, like a fish with a species name and a specific genetic code. Nope, it's just fish. Mistake number one. Well, 
Okay, maybe not. Because it's probably just some generic frozen filet of some white fish, probably like scrod or, you know, something farm. This was a few years before the tilapia explosion, but it could have been tilapia. You know, whatever. Just some white fish cut into a square, frozen, sold to Denny's. Okay. It's better than the chicken fried pork chop or, you know, whatever else is on a Denny's menu. You know, red velvet apple pie flavored pancake carbonara pasta or, you know, something like that. And when she's asked what she would like to accompany her fish, things like, you know, French fries or onion rings or fried dough blobs, you know, whatever the options are that the waitress is offering to her, she says, how about a baked potato? Casually glancing out over the potato fields that are literally growing right up to the bumper of their car in the parking lot. Like if they stayed parked there long enough, the potato vines would devour their car. Mistake number two. Ordering a baked potato. Um, let me check on that, says the waitress, and she trots off back to the kitchen. And then she returns a minute later with the bad news. Sorry, hun, no more baked potatoes today. How about some curly fries or waffle fries or steak fries or mashed potatoes or hash browns or home fries or potato chips or maybe a side of frozen mixed vegetables? Now, I'm not sure she actually offered all of those things. You know, I'm a writer. I have to embellish. But I just use them out to point the irony of the situation. So Lisa exhaustedly points out the window and says, but we're in Idaho. What else do you have? Uh, yeah, hon, um, no baked potatoes today. Now, had it been me in that situation, I would have said to the waitress, well, why don't you just go out there and dig one up right now and we can stick it in the giant microwave back there that you call a kitchen in this restaurant, okay? I'm not sure what Lisa actually did in that moment because she was probably just exhausted and dejected and ate her frozen mixed vegetables with her fish and got back in the car, tired and sick of driving with her two crazy dogs and her husband, and crossed the state line into the food promised land, a.k.a. Oregon, or at least the Portlandia region of Oregon, where they now happily reside in food heaven. So do you see the foodiness-soaked irony of that story? The Idaho Denny's kitchen had no baked potatoes while the surrounding potato vines and roots were probably pushing right up through the floor and choking the plumbing of the walk-in fridge below that restaurant because the industrialized mechanized corporate food chain style of eating and sourcing and procuring probably meant that those potatoes that grew right outside the door were harvested processed and packed right nearby but then shipped thousands of miles away to other centralized facilities where they'd be processed some more and turned into all sorts of potato foodiness industrial complex products repackaged frozen and reshipped back out all over the country and when the 19 year old meth addict who ran the denny's kitchen there in idaho ordered all his potato products for the week they'd ship them right back to him including a sack of whole potatoes for him to bake for the carefully calibrated number of baked potatoes that they had estimated at corporate hq to sell at that particular outlet the one right in the middle of the idaho potato fields you can have all the processed frozen potato products you want at that Denny's in Potato Landia, but no baked potato. Water, water everywhere, but not an unflavored, uncolored, unsweetened drop to drink. We're going to take a quick break. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery. 
calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. And welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica White, your host. So sure, potatoes are super versatile. You can make a million different things with them, all delicious and filling and comforting. Who doesn't love potatoes? I love potatoes, too. I don't eat them that much anymore because I finally figured out after all those stupid decades of fat phobia that it was the starchy carbs and sugars that were fucking with my health, not the fat. But that doesn't mean I've jettisoned them completely. I still eat a few fries with my burger now and then. I've got nothing against the potato per se, but I do have a problem with potato foodiness. In case you hadn't caught on to that yet after 113 episodes. A whole simple russet or Idaho potato, a.k.a. the starchy potatoes, as opposed to the waxy potatoes like Red Bliss and Yukon Gold, one of those is actually a lot more nutritious than you'd think, a lot better for you than we've all thought for a long time. Potatoes have vitamin C and they have protein, and if you eat the skin, you actually get a big dose of fiber. But yes, potatoes are one of our most heavily sprayed and chemically dosed crops, probably near the top of the Dirty Dozen list. So organic is always better, especially with root crops, which just sit there in the dirt and suck up all those pesticides and fungicides, and they have thin skins and everything goes through. But if you're not eating potatoes for three meals a day, unlike most Americans, you can limit your pesticide intake enough, maybe buy the non-organic if it's an issue for you. I mean, seriously, if regular potatoes are 69 a pound and organic are 89 cents a pound, you are really freaking cheap if you're going to go that route. But I'm not judging. Who am I to judge? Oh, well, that's kind of my job. Anyway, we ate a lot of baked potatoes in my house growing up back in the 70s and 80s. I think everybody did back then. It was like one of those things you ate. It was like a norm. When's the last time you went to someone's house and they were like, we're having a baked potato? doesn't really happen much anymore, but it was one of those things that you ate. And of course, in my fat phobias, I'd eat a big baked potato and a big pile of steamed broccoli for dinner, thinking I was doing something smart. I mean, the broccoli was smart. No butter on anything, of course, or olive oil, but I would put ketchup on the baked potato instead, which was a really great idea to put two tablespoons of corn syrup on a big blob of carbs. But what did I know back then? I was listening to the prevailing wisdom. So I'd really, I'd kind of forgotten about the baked potato, just the simple, beautiful baked potato in recent years. And it's funny that way, because I don't really eat out that much. People always go, hey, you're a chef. Oh, what are your favorite restaurants? Oh, where do you eat? Um, almost nowhere. Like, sometimes I'll eat pizza here for free when I can. And sometimes, like, I'll eat a burger near my house. But mostly I eat at home. I don't want to spend the money. And because I don't eat out much, and especially not at like steakhouses or places that might still serve baked potatoes, they had kind of fallen off my radar. Now, back in college one summer, I spent a summer, one summer, in London, just kind of wandering around, freeloading off a friend. 
And at the time, I was a clueless, misguided, as I said before, fat-phobic vegetarian. And in London, there was a chain called Spud You Like. Spud hyphen letter U hyphen like. Spud You Like. Which still exists. And I would sometimes go there for lunch to Spud You Like. Now, the English call them jacket potatoes, which is kind of charming in that quaint, old, oldie English way, but also kind of stupid in that same way. Jacket potatoes. It's like why they say courgette instead of zucchini when the Italians say zucchini and it's an Italian vegetable or, you know. Why do the English say fillet instead of filet? That's what I don't get. It's a French word. Just say it the French way. Anyway, I ate at Spud You Like a lot, and I got fatter and more depressed as the summer wore on, but not totally because of the Spud You Like potatoes, mostly because my life was a mess, and I was living on potatoes and Cadbury crunchy bars and beer and hard cider, but that's for another episode. That's for another time. So this past summer, up at Tiny Bungalow one weekend, we had a little cold spell. Not like the cold spell we're having right now, where it went from 50 to 20 overnight, but like a little cold spell. And so we were at the store, we were grocery shopping for dinner, and I suddenly thought, baked potatoes. It just popped into my head. I had made chili from some ground bison that I had left over from a recipe development project I had worked on in June. And it was a cool night, and I was going to serve the chili, and oh my God, yes, baked potatoes. How had I forgotten all about them? How could I have forgotten? I mean, we eat baked sweet potatoes in my house all the time, but a plain old baked Idaho spud? I don't think I had baked a potato at home since the 90s. And sometimes when I would make family meal at the various restaurants I had worked at back then, I would do a baked potato bar and I would use up all kinds of leftover stuff as toppings. The staff really loved that, but I had kind of forgotten about it. So we added baked potatoes back into the dinner repertoire. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as I started eating baked potatoes again, the New York Times food page in the Sunday magazine had a piece all about reacquainting yourself with the jacketed baked tubers. Ew, the New York Times reinvented baked potatoes all of a sudden. Um, hello, I did it first. Just want to say that that happened twice this summer because when I decided to pick and cook all the green tomatoes from the garden, a week later the Times did a piece on green tomatoes too, okay? I'm not suggesting anything here, but... I think we have a spy in the house. Anyway, I've always thought that the ability to bake a potato was intrinsic to everybody's basic culinary knowledge. Wouldn't you think so? It's pretty simple. But back when I was teaching at that big unnamed culinary school where I worked for 15 years, we had a lesson in which we made twice-baked potatoes. You know the twice-baked potato where you take a baked potato and you slice it open and you scoop out all the flesh and then you puree it with cream and butter and cheese and stuff like that. You basically make very rich mashed potatoes and then you scoop it or pipe it back into the shell and you bake it again until the top is crunchy and brown, hence twice-baked. When I ate my first twice-baked potato as a child, I thought that the person who'd invented them was some kind of an Einstein level of genius. I could not believe that someone had thought about that. It blew my little carb-crazed mind back then. 
So when I would teach the twice-baked potato lesson, I would say to the class, okay, guys, let's get your potatoes in the oven to bake ASAP so we can get them done in time because we then have to process and bake them again, hence the name, twice-baked. And the students would turn their device-dulled eyes to me with their blank stares, unable to decipher what I had just asked them to do. They didn't know how to bake a potato, something I had learned to do at seven years old. Um, You stick a potato in the oven, and you bake it until it's soft. Comprende? Um, No, chef. Never did it before. Can't we just drop them in the fryer? That's how you cook potatoes, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, oh, wait, I think the recruiter from Denny's is here today for the job fair. So why don't you just go downstairs and see her? Okay, we're going to keep going with today's lesson. But don't worry, I'll save your twice baked potato for you. You let me know how it goes with them and when you're going to be moving out to Idaho. Okay, okay. We will be right back. We're going to take a break. That was a quick break. Wow. Okay, welcome back. So let's get real. The cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. Boy, Jack, you're cheap with the breaks today. Uh, short. Okay. So yet again, yet again, foodiness creeps in with its twisting tendrils, like the twisting, curling vines and roots of a million Idaho potato plants, just creeping in and taking something simple and pure and perfectly good as food itself and turning it into all kinds of brilliantly evil foodiness. And I'm not just talking about your basic potato chip or frozen French fry. They're all fairly innocuous. I've got nothing against a good potato chip or a fry or a real mashed potatoes. But I've got a really big problem, like an Idaho-sized problem, with things like Pringles and pop chips and veggie booty and puffed snacks and fries that are shaped like little tic-tac-toe boards and curly extruded fry products and things that are made from dehydrated potato powder that are then slurried and jet blasted and formed into a million different doodly, puffy, pringly, sningly, snackified potato products. All far, far removed from their original form and stripped of any actual food value that they had to begin with. It's like taking wheat in all its whole, unprocessed, unrefined, unenriched, unhybridized, un-GMO'd form. It's a powerfully nutritious staple food for billions of people in that form. But turn it into processed white flour and process it even further and GMO it and bleach it and brominate it and turn it into pink, puffy, marshmallowy, Hello Kitty-shaped cereal, and something gets a little lost in the process. Same with potatoes. Bake them whole, food. Slice thin and fry in oil, crunchy food. Boil and mash with a pound of butter, delicious creamy food. Cut into sticks and fry twice in horse fat. What? Oh, yeah, horse fat. The traditional fat for frying french fries, believe it or not. Yes, horse fat. I'm not kidding. I don't make this shit up. It's true. Definitely food. 
but process into starch powder and rehydrate and form into stackable, perfectly uniform chip shapes and dust with artificial onion flavor and industrial whey powder and then stack them in a can? Uh, foodiness. Uh, actually, maybe just shit. Yep. Beyond foodiness. Just shit. Now, the Irish, the Irish, because when you say potatoes, what do you think of? The Irish were doomed by the potato famine, but not because they didn't have any more potatoes. Well, yes, because they only had potatoes and then they had no potatoes, but because they were relying on the potatoes as a monoculture. They basically stopped growing everything else and just grew potatoes. So um, you get a blight, uh, no more potatoes. That's what we're doing with wheat, monoculture wheat. That's what we're doing with potatoes, monoculture potatoes. Oh, that's what we're doing with bananas too, by the way. The Cavendish banana, the only variety of banana that we eat. There's a blight. A few more years, no mas bananas for us. You can survive on potatoes as a food. If that's all you have, they will keep you alive for a very long time. They have enough protein and enough vitamin C to keep you alive. For long enough. You think you could survive that long on Pringles or on curly fries? That's a different kind of famine that we're talking about. That's the kind of famine we have now, the kind of obese diabetic famine that we see all over the U.S., the overfed starving people living on foodiness facsimiles of food. I would actually love to do a survival study on that, like a, a new potato famine study. Take one group, only feed them potatoes. Take another group, only feed them Pringles. See who drops dead first, the Pringles eater or the potato eater. I am not a betting kind of woman, but I think that one would be pretty easy to win. Oh, yeah, and also mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. Next week is Thanksgiving, you know. Can you believe it? So I guess we should talk about mashed potatoes. Um, okay. So, what do you want to talk about with mashed potatoes? Well, we never ate them in my house, ever, growing up. Because, like ever, even at Thanksgiving, because they reminded my mom too much of subsisting on watery potato soup during the war. And I realize now when I say the war, anybody probably under 30 doesn't realize I'm talking about World War II. They probably think I'm talking about, like, the Gulf War. But yeah, so my mom and her family almost starved to death, and that's another story in another episode. I won't bore you with all that, but we never ate mashed potatoes because they reminded her too much of the food they had to eat when they almost starved to death during the war. So I would, like, stuff my face with them at other people's houses because it was so exciting to eat mashed potatoes. At our house at Thanksgiving, we always ate a sweet potato puree with Grand Marnier and pecans. Ooh, we were so fancy, which I still make, but I reinterpret it, and I use bourbon and walnuts. I like that better. Oh, yeah. We were talking about mashed potatoes. Um, okay. So just bake or boil some potatoes. If you boil them, leave the skins on. It works better. Then peel them off. And then mash them or put them through a ricer. The end. But not a machine with a blade because you'll get potato paste for various molecular cellular reasons that I won't get into. And then add a lot of butter and a lot of salt. The end. Again, please don't use instant mashed potatoes please please just don't okay if you really don't want to cook potatoes yourself or anything buy them pre-made mashed i saw them at trader joe's 
pre-made mashed potatoes. That's fine. You could do that. It's pathetic, but it's fine. I mean, you can do it. It's it's lame. It's really, really lame, but I'm not judging you. Really, it's okay. I mean, at that point, you you, you may as well just go to Denny's, but um, you better go early because I hear that sometimes they run out of stuff there. Oh, look, that's the end of our show, and that's all the time we have. I have to add one more oh. little fun fact. Hi. Hey. Um, so instant mashed potato flakes also used as fake snow sometimes in film shoots. That's right. Good point, Jack. Weird, so, huh? So they have a purpose. You know what instant mashed potato flakes are actually good for is doing like potato crusted stuff. Like when I first started as a chef 20 years ago, I can't remember who it was. Some famous guy, chef guy had this famous potato crusted fish on his menu and it was like the talk of the town and it turned out he was using those instant mashed potato flakes. So, you know, you could use them as a hack. Like, in a way, that's okay. But seriously, mashed potatoes from box, that's thumbs down. Yeah, just pathetic. Lame. Really. Go to Denny's. But go early, as I said, because apparently they do run out of stuff. I just had to make that joke again since I was interrupted. But it's okay. Oh, now we're really out of time. So that's all for this week's episode of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding prayer and eating food. Uh, here on Heritage Radio Network. Can you follow me on Twitter, please? I would like some new followers. I don't, you know, I mean, I like all my followers, but we could use some new blood. And, uh, you know, come visit us down here in the Foodiness Fallout Shelter every Tuesday at 1 o'clock live here on heritageradionetwork.org. Or if you miss us live, you can always listen later or forever on heritageradionetwork.org or on my show, which is letsgetrealshow.com or on iTunes or that other thing, Stitcher. Yeah, Stitcher. All right. Well, I got to go now. Uh, We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Jack and thanks to Ben for writing the music. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.